I was like, I don't know if I'm working on getting back together or if I'm working on healing these wounds. Like I can't say yet, but I don't know how am I ever supposed to trust him. Yeah. And the therapist went into this whole thing about like how a lion tamer just has to put his head in the lion's mouth. And I was wow. like, that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever <laughs> yeah, heard in my life. It's <laughs> a pretty aggressive analogy. I was like, Hello, and welcome to another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak, a podcast about the shared experience of dating in Los Angeles. I am really honored to have today's guest on because I used to work for her at DreamWorks Animation. She was an amazing boss, and honestly, I always admired her candor and her expertise in her field, and she was just really hilarious. So I'm excited to introduce her to all of you, and I'll let her take it away. My name is Mimi Slavin. I'm actually a native of Los Angeles, born and raised, which is a little unusual. I am going to be 55 next month, which is hard to believe. And I have been in the partnership marketing space and entertainment for about 25 years. And I am currently married, just to give you some idea of my status. And I'm thrilled to be doing this because I have always thought very highly of you, Leslie. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot. And I'm so glad that David Binder, who was on a previous episode, kind of connected us and that you were so open to talking about this experience because I feel like you have a really unique and inspiring story to share. It's funny. What I found out is that my story isn't as unique as I would have thought, but we'll we'll get into that as we sort of talk about my journey. Yes. Okay. I'm excited to hear about that. So I guess we can dive right in. And you mentioned that you're married now, but of course, you know, there was always a journey to get to finding the person who you ended up with long term. And, you know, given that you have been in entertainment and in the partnership space for 25 years, I guess I would love to hear about some of the challenges that you had dating early on while you were balancing a demanding career in this field. Early, early on, it wasn't so hard to balance because I wasn't at you know super senior level. And, and I think in my mid 20s, really focused on trying to find someone that I you know connected with. And I kind of had this vision that I would be married, that I would have kids. And I, you know, sort of dated a few guys and had my heart broken a bunch of times. And I got to a point where I just said, you know what, I'm really good at my job. I'm really crummy at relationships. I think I'm just going to focus on work. And I'm just I'm not going to focus on relationships. And I went on a 10 year dating hiatus, starting when I was about 32. I just kind of said, I'm just done. I'm sick of having my heart broken. I'm sick of you know, these guys turning out to be, you know, not the right guy. And so I just decided to become very career focused. And I'm not saying that I would recommend that because I don't think I would, even knowing how my story turned out. I think finding that balance, having that balance, prioritizing, having the things in your life that you want, you know, if you want kids, if you want a relationship, I think it's really important to prioritize those things. And if you don't prioritize them, it's unlikely that they will just sort of happen. You have to really make them a priority. And I really, I tried. And like I said, I had my heart broken a few times and I just, I chickened out and took myself out of the dating pool. Yeah. And I think you do bring up a good point in that you really do have to prioritize it. And so as you have these frustrating experiences, I feel like it must have become harder and harder to motivate yourself to do that because it is so much work. And so if you're not really seeing the benefits and it seems like it's more negative than positive over time, I think that motivation is just going to decline. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, I got married when I was 45. I met my husband when I was 43. And I sort of hit a point, you know, when I was in my thirties where I realized I didn't really want kids 
And so that freed me up to not focus on a relationship because, you know, I, in my mind, in order to have kids, you had to have a relationship. I know there, I have actually a number of friends who've done it on their own. That was never something that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I had a couple of experiences with some guys who, you know, one guy who I thought was, I really thought was the one and, you know, things were going great. And then all of a sudden he just didn't want to be in a relationship anymore. And that really broke my heart. And then I was dating someone who just was playing so many games. It was like push pull. And I just, you know, again, had my heart broken. And I finally was like, this is ridiculous, you know, and I, and a lot of it was about control, which is something you have to really give up if you're going to really put yourself out there, because you really can't control whether the person that you're interested in is you know, going to be interested back or mm -hmm. in the same place. So you really have to be willing to let go of some of that control. And I really wasn't, I, I, I had been willing to do it. And then I just got to a point where I wasn't willing to do it anymore. Because every time I had my heart broken, it felt like a setback. And it was just so hard. I mean, I don't know if you've sort of had heartbreak, but, you know, it's debilitating, it, it affects everything. And, it, you know, it affected my job, it affected my home life. And so I, I just decided I just didn't want my heart broken anymore. And the only way I could make sure that I didn't have my heart broken anymore was just to not put myself out there. Yeah, and I definitely have experienced heartbreak. And you also bring up another good point in that dating is one of the few things where you can't exercise that control. And I've said before that I really don't think that the hard part of dating is finding somebody who likes you. I feel like the hard part is finding someone who likes you as much as you like them. And there are just so <laughs> many great. different things. Like you don't know if it's maybe the timing is off or they're just not in the right headspace because maybe they're not over somebody else. You don't really necessarily know if they're being honest with their intentions. And I think it is really difficult to have to realize that no matter what you do, there's still this huge variable that can play into your experience in a negative way, potentially. Yep. And so I decided I was just going to focus really hard on my career, which I did. And I had a lot of success and it was great. But I think because I didn't focus on my personal life, I think I could have been a better boss earlier in my career if I had had more balance. Mm. If I had been as focused on building a home life as I was in building my career, I think I would have been a better boss. I evolved over time, but I think there was a period of time where the fact that I didn't have anyone to go home to and any big reason to get home kind of made me a workaholic and it sort of created this sort of not overt, but sort of covert expectation that other people would just want to work all the time too. Hmm, That is interesting. And of course, when I worked for you, you did have a great balance. And so I never felt that, but I could see how that could happen. And myself, I wouldn't say that I'm personally a workaholic. I feel like, you know, I'm very driven at work and I really prioritize it, but I understand the importance of having balance. However, there have been times where if I have to work late, I kind of justify it because I'm like, well, no one is waiting for me. I don't even have a pet. And so <laughs> it's, very easy to justify working late, especially when I think about it as something to wait out traffic for. So I totally see what you mean in terms of just putting everything into your work, because that is your main priority. And you can control it, you know, that if you work hard, there's going to be reward. And it's funny, you said something that was really interesting, where you said you didn't even have a pet. Because one of the big things that really changed my life and my perspective was, you know, I had had cats mm -hmm. all my, you know, all my life since I was like 10 years old, we always had cats and I had, I had a cat, I had two cats and I got a dog mm -hmm. right around my 40th birthday. And that was actually a big game changer because there was something that was depending on me and needed me to be home. And it also made me, you know, get outside and be a little, you know, social with my neighbors because I had to walk the dog. And mm -hmm. as strange as that sounds, I think it was the precursor to opening me up to looking for a relationship. I don't think that sounds strange at all. That definitely makes a lot of sense. And another podcast that I listened to, the host has had a dog for a very long time, and she was going through a phase in her life where very different from you, but her phase was just kind of destructive. She didn't have that much responsibility. Her career was a little bit unstable. And she even said when she got a dog, that all changed because she just had this creature that was reliant on her to take care of it. And so I do see that that would really change your outlook on a lot of things. Yeah. And it, I think it helped me in so many ways. I mean, 
like I said, I think it opened me up to the idea of a relationship. And, and also it made me better at work because I wasn't, you know, I'm just going to be here till nine or 10 o'clock at night. It was like, I knew I needed to get out of the office and get home and take care of the dog. Yeah. And it's kind of like when you have that boundary set, I honestly feel like sometimes it generates better work because if you just have endless time, I feel like it can be easy to drag something on. Um, not saying that you did that, but for myself, I've noticed that if I don't have a deadline that can happen, whereas sometimes I will work better under pressure. I wish that weren't the case. I wish I were just efficient all the time. <laughs> I think most, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of successful people who do work best under pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just having that set boundary of, I need to leave the office at this time, I feel like is honestly beneficial in the long run. Yeah, it definitely helped me. So do you feel like there were any major positives to being single for this extended period of time? Of course, you got to focus on your career. But do you feel like you really got to focus on yourself and grow in a way that maybe you wouldn't have if you were dedicated to dating? I mean, I think the, the you know, the most positive thing that came out of it was, you know, success on the career side, I think, in terms of personal growth, you know, I grew as a manager and, you know, was able to focus on being a better boss, doing those kind of things. But I do think that um, relationships are really important in terms of helping you challenge yourself. And, and I think that was missing. I think it was very easy to sort of live in a cocoon and kind of not have to really grow in big ways because I wasn't trying to combine my life with someone else. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 like I said, I will, I actually, you know, I, I wouldn't, when I look back on it, I, I, I probably wouldn't do anything differently just because things turned out the way I believe they're supposed to, but I certainly wouldn't advise someone to do what I did. Mm -hmm. So what was the defining moment where you decided, okay, I think I'm ready to get back out there. And how did you kind of reconcile making this big shift from being entirely independent to then being vulnerable again? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the fun part, isn't it? <laughs> um, so I left Warner Brothers where I had been for 12 years and I went to CBS Films, which was a startup division in the CBS organization. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, even if I wanted to, you know, work 12 or 14 hours a day, there just wasn't the work to do because they were just starting up and they were in production on the first film. And mm -hmm. my role was, you know, I was, you know, interacting with the different divisions and, you know, establishing myself and getting ready to do promotions. And I was doing some product placement, but I, I went from having, you know, 25, 26 to, you know, 30 movies a year to sort of waiting on one, two or three movies. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, all this time and really no excuse anymore to not focus on my personal life. And I think I mentioned this to you, I had a girlfriend who was, you know, happily married for many years, and who was always pushing me to go online. And so she, she actually created a profile for me on mm -hmm. JDate. And I didn't necessarily agree with the profile that she created. <laughs> and I kind of, I was like, all right, you know, if, if we're going to do this, we'll do it right. So I, you know, mm -hmm. created my own profile and, and was like, all right, I'm going to get back out there. Yeah. And kind of what I decided was, and, you know, I don't, this, don't ask me why, but I, I had tried the dating apps many, many years before, before it was actually like considered kind of a normal, cool thing to do. And mm -hmm. I had a friend who had found her husband on JDate, but my experience had been, and this was, you know, 10 or 15 years before was a lot of guys that were like, you know, I'm going to save up and move out of my parents' basement. <laughs> and, you know, I just not particularly great quality guys. And so I was kind of apprehensive about going back online, but I thought, well, if I control it, if I just, if I just ignore messages that come to, you know, come to me, but I pick the guys that I want to go out with based on the profiles I see and, and, you know, the pictures if I control it, then maybe it'll be a, you know, a better experience. And, you know, I'll feel like I, again, you know, with my control issues, this was my way of trying to control the uncontrollable. And so I kind of went into it with that in mind that I would be the one sort of reaching out to the people that I thought were interesting. And I also kind of decided, and this I think is really important for online dating, mm -hmm. that I wouldn't take it personally. Like if I reached out to someone and they didn't respond, it's like, 
they don't know me. It's not a personal indictment. There's no risk. There's no ego involved. Like they don't know me. They're not interested. They're not interested. It has nothing to do with, you know, they don't know me. It's not a rejection that I have to take to heart. Right. Yeah. That's a great point because honestly, I feel like the rejections that hurt more when people have gotten to know you and then they're like, Oh, I'm not interested. But Honestly, how much can you really tell about a person from a few pictures and a few prompts? I feel like even for myself, I've had periods of time where I don't respond to someone and it's not me intentionally ghosting them. You just take breaks from the app and sometimes it's unpredictable. So that's a great outlook to have. Yeah. So I kind of went into it with this attitude of like, I'm going to pick the guys that I'm interested in and, you know, we'll go from there. And of course, the best laid plans, it turned out that my husband actually wrote to me and it was he was very funny. And I was like, and I think I told you this, he basically had everything I wasn't looking for in a man. <laughs> he had, you know, a beard and a mustache. I don't like facial hair. He had a tattoo. I grew up in a house where tattoos were, you know, tramp stamps. He was five, six, so he wasn't really tall. Just something about his note to me. And it felt like he had really read my profile. And I just, I thought, he seems great. I'm going to meet this guy, even though I had said I was going to be the one that picked who I met. I really love um, that. And he was, yeah. And he was the third date that I went on when I went back online. And so, I mean, and I, I don't think this is the experience that everyone has. I think, you know, most people you have to go through kissing a lot of frogs. But yeah. um, I think I told you I had one date with a guy who got a little handsy and made me uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. when I said I didn't want to see him again, he got really nasty. And I was like, wow, way <laughs> to make me regret my decision there. <laughs> Uh, it was like, farewell. Ugh. The second guy that I went out with was really nice, but he was kind of weird and he wouldn't tell me how old he was. And he red flags. It was, it was just kind of, yeah, it was just kind of strange. And then I met Brad and there was just something about him. He was just a really sweet guy and really funny. And we went out a couple times and then I got bronchitis and I was sort of out of commission for like two weeks. And he and I would, you know, we're texting and, getting to know each other. And I really wasn't trying to meet anyone else during that time. And mm -hmm. we just got lucky. Although I, it was funny because I, after we started dating, he told some story about some woman that he went out with and it turned out he went out with her like after he had gone out with me. And I was like, what do you mean? I thought you met me and we're like, you know, I thought we were exclusive. So <laughs> I was mean, so floored that, I mean, even though, you know, who knew what was going to happen that mm -hmm. you would have, you know, been just so wowed by me that you wouldn't want to go out with anyone else. Yeah. Like, like clear my calendar. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I didn't know what was going to happen with you. And you know, you were sick and unavailable. <laughs> and he's like, who knew if you were really sick or you were blowing me off? Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. That's... Luckily, that date that he went on was terrible. So I, you know, was able to maintain my position in the first few. <laughs> that is really a crazy way to think about it. Because that is what online dating is. You really have no idea how many people someone is talking to until you get to the point where you're comfortable asking them about that. But it's just crazy to think like, oh, this could be the best date I've been on in six months. But maybe it was just an average Wednesday for them. Like, who knows? Yeah, well, I can tell you a very funny story that's a little bit risque if you would like me oh, to. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, Brad and I were dating for a couple of months. And, you know, there was a period of time where we didn't see each other because I had been sick. And then we went on a date. I wanted to take him out for his birthday after I had been sick. I think I told you the story and I ended up getting Yes. He had to take me home and I was like sheet white sweating. <laughs> it was really pretty. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so we, we started dating and we were dating for a couple months. And then it was like this, it was sort of that time, like that decision of, you know, are you mm -hmm. going to sleep with this person? Right. Mm -hmm. We've been dating for a few months and a couple months. And he said, you know, I'd love to make dinner for you. Why don't you come over? He had, a, he had this tiny apartment because he had been married before mm -hmm. and he was going through a divorce. I thought he was divorced, but he was actually still going through mm -hmm. the divorce. Okay. It was really funny. He made this roast chicken, but the oven that he had at this little dumpy apartment, you know, was not totally working right. We ended up eating dinner at like 10 o'clock at night. And then <laughs> we were going to watch this movie. We watched this terrible movie called Step Brothers. Oh, my God. Wait, I love Step Brothers. <laughs> oh, my God. We thought it was terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's not quality cinema. I could agree with that. But there was all this tension because we knew mm -hmm. it was kind of like this was the date. You know, mm -hmm. this was the one like we're, you know. We'd, we'd made out a couple times, but nothing, you know, serious. And this was sort of like the, the one we had, we didn't really talk about it, but it was mm -hmm. kind of 
obvious to both of us. Like unspoken. And since I had not dated anyone in like 10 years, like I had not had sex with anyone. This was a big deal for me. Yeah. And so we, you know, stayed up, watched this movie. It was like 1230. And it was like, <laughs> so, you know, would you want to stay over? And I was like, you know, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I spent the night, we, we had sex. And afterwards he, we were cuddling and he said, I just want you to know, I took my profile off of J-Date today. Oh, and I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I took my profile down like a month ago. You're like, what took you so long? Oh, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, we got to this point and you're just taking it down. The poor guy, he was like, he thought he was, you know, being so, you know, romantic yeah. and like, you know, taking this risk saying like, you know, we're going to be exclusive. And I was like, was that not obvious to you? Like, you're like, duh. I mean, I feel bad like, because I, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I totally played into it. And maybe that is just indicative of like how much I think of the guys who are online. Because for me, first of all, I was already impressed that he waited until the movie ended to make a move. I feel like a lot of guys don't do that. <laughs> and then I just feel like a lot of guys, they are not necessarily taking the initiative to take their profiles off. And I know that's literally bare minimum. Like I'm really letting guys get away with a lot maybe by saying that, but I do feel like he took more initiative than most guys who are dating online. Probably. But I mean, we had been dating for a couple of months and and, like we really waited a while and like part of it was circumstance and part of it was just, you know, because I was nervous about getting, you know, sort of back in the saddle. Mm -hmm. And it was just really funny because once I knew that that we were going in that direction, I took my profile down. Because like if I'm going to be intimate with someone, it's going to be because I'm really into them and like Mm -hmm. not seeing other people. Like I wouldn't be dating other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just really funny. I mean, and the poor guy was just like, uh, 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 <laughs> like, you know, oh he thought God. he was being super romantic. And me and meanwhile, I got pissed that he hadn't <laughs> done it before. I'm sure he thought he was getting so many points in your book. Little did he know. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. It was very funny. So, yeah, he surprised me a couple times. Like the fact that he went on a date with someone else after he met me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I thought, you know, he would be so floored by me that he wouldn't. What, why would he possibly want to date other women when he could you know, be dating me? <laughs> Maybe, you know, just preparing himself for heartbreak. He's like, no way I can bag her. So let me just manage my expectations. Yes, I was a little out of his league. <laughs> so I kind of want to backtrack to that, actually, because you mentioned that he didn't meet a lot of the criteria that you had set up in your head. And I think that's such an interesting thing about dating apps, because it's so easy to kind of put people in a box based on what you think you want, and then realize yeah. that there are all these other people who might not meet what you think you want. Maybe you don't even really know what you actually need in a relationship or you meet someone else and it changes your priorities. So it's awesome that you were open to kind of going outside of those boundaries that you had set because of his message. Well, he was very funny and he continues to be funny to this day. I mean, he's got a great sense of humor and, you know, it just sort of broke through. And it is a good reminder that sometimes, you know, you create this whole wish list and you're sort of putting yourself in a box Mm because you're limiting, you know, what is available to you, but you don't know. I mean, if there's certain things that are real deal breakers for you, do you really want to spend time, you know, getting to know someone who has a real deal breaker, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the thing with Brad was he was, you know, he was funny. He had a good job. He was ambitious. He had a lot of the other qualities that were important to me. Mm-hmm. But it does, I think it's a good reminder that, you know, if you can be open-minded, you might really surprise yourself. Like, you know, here I thought I was going to be selecting my, you know, future mate. And he reached out to me and I would never have reached out to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it it is good to try to be open. I mean, within reason, because you also have to manage the amount of time because you will burn out, right? Oh, my gosh, yes. It's a lot of energy. It really is. I know that you said you only met two other guys before Brad on this round of online dating, but would you say that before that you had experienced any burnout? Not so much burnout as just, like, shock at just how many like losers you can meet. Mm-hmm. 
in a short period of time. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that sounds so harsh because I mean, what's so interesting is what might be a loser to me, not like a winning candidate to me, it could be someone else's dream. You know, it's my own, based on my own judgment. But I think you can burn out if you go on bad date after bad date after bad date. Even though I did meet Brad pretty quickly, I was definitely of the mindset that it was a marathon, not a sprint. Like mm-hmm. I really thought I would have to meet a lot of people before I found someone. And I think you just have to go in with the mindset that like, it's a numbers game. Yeah, it really is, which is not the sexiest way to think of it, but it's realistic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, just even the whole taking the dating situation and putting it online so that you can meet people, you know, when I was in my 20s, you know, and dating quite a bit, for the most part, you met people through friends or you met people at bars or and it was hard to meet people. And then with the dating apps, you're inundated with all these quote unquote potential suitors, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many people online and then and it see and it starts to get really easy to, you know, swipe left or, you know, you start feeling like you have all these options. Yes. I always feel like one of the biggest issues with online dating is just paradox of choice, because I feel like when you're presented with so many people, you probably unconsciously raise your standards to a level that you might not have if you were just meeting people organically, because you just feel like, oh, well, I don't necessarily need to settle for this person because I have endless options out there. I can find my perfect match when in reality, there's no perfect person. It's really just who makes you feel best and who's the best fit for you. Yep. In a way, it's kind of a crapshoot, right? Like someone might seem perfect on, you know, on profile and you meet them and there's just no chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, I think when there's, you know, 16 other people waiting in your queue, you might not give someone a chance if there isn't immediate chemistry. But sometimes you get to know someone and it turns out that they're really a great person and they might be right for you. But I, I do think that that online dating sort of creates that like next mm-hmm. yes. kind of culture. Oh my gosh, it's just like that MTV show. You're so right. Mm-hmm. So going back to the early stages before you and Brad were exclusive, what was that first message that caught your attention? You know, it's funny. I, I wish I had saved it because I don't remember exactly what he said, but I just remember that my profile was very stream of consciousness. It was like, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I have these interests. And I I talked about the fact that I loved animals. And I said, but I don't get birds. Like, I don't understand people that have (laughs) birds as pets. Like, I think it's really weird. Mm -hmm. And he responded to that. He wrote, he's like, I, you know, he's like, I think we should meet because I too have a problem with people (laughs) that keep birds as pets. And so it was something, you know, that, you know, it was kind of like, it was clear that he had read my profile. He said, whatever, he, there there were some other cute little things in there. And it was like, all right, I'm going to give this guy a chance, even though he's got, you know, a goatee and a mustache <laughs> and I don't like facial hair and he's got a tattoo. My mother would, you know, fall over. <laughs> Although at that point, because I was 42 or 43, mm-hmm. I think that I could have brought home a blow up doll and been like, we're so happy that you found someone that makes you happy. Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm 29 and I feel like my mom is already there. So <laughs> I, I get that. You're, you're young. You have plenty of time. Well, I would love to tell her that because I know that she's concerned to say the least. Oh, but I mean, I watched my parents go through the stages, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it was more my mom than my dad. I think my dad was kind of like, just let me know when I have to pay attention to one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom, it started out with my mom. It's like, he needs to be Jewish. It would be great if he was, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or mm-hmm. executive. And by the time I got married, she was like, well, if he has a pulse, <laughs> they, she didn't care if it was a he or a she. I mean, she, she, she had just about given up hope. So for them to me, I mean, Brad was nice Jewish boy. They were beyond thrilled. Oh, at what stage did you actually introduce them to Brad? Well, we've been dating about probably about three months. Mm -hmm. And I had a family birthday party to go to talk about putting someone into the fire. Oh, yeah. So he went with me to this family birthday party and he met like all my aunts and uncles and my parents and my sister all at once. And he did great. He's great with people. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's impressive. Um, He was a good sport. I don't remember when I met his parents, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Probably like some holiday dinner or something like that. Okay. Well, the fact that you don't remember, at least it means it wasn't anything traumatizing or really intimidating. Oh, so that's no, no. good. 
So I kind of wanted to backtrack a little again, because when we were initially talking about your first couple of dates with Brad, you mentioned a few best practices that I thought were actually really interesting and really good advice. And so you kind of mentioned about the fact that you like to keep first dates short. My belief was that, you know, it's super easy to create like a false intimacy with someone, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, when you start, you know, by texting and then, you know, talking on the phone and then you finally meet someone. And I always thought, even if you had some initial chemistry, that the first date should be short. It should be like one drink or one cup of coffee Mm -hmm. just to get to know them and see if there's any kind of spark. And then if there is, you can always go on another date. I just felt like, you know, if you just kind of kept that rule, it it would make the whole process a little less like stressful Yeah. because, you know, it's like it's one hour out of your life. So Mm -hmm. that way, if the date's terrible, you've committed to basically one hour. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so that was my that was my policy. Of course, I broke that with Brad. Brad broke all the rules. <laughs> yeah, he really did kind of break the mold. That's amazing. It's a sign. And talking about false intimacy, I also feel like that can happen when you're just texting somebody. I feel like a lot of times you kind of get into this oh, pen pal phase. So how long would you, in an ideal world, have been talking to somebody before you agreed to meet up with them? I would try to keep it pretty short like and we should and we and we will we will talk about this because there was a point at which brad and i were separated and i went back on the apps and so i had sort of a different experience with that than when i was and you know before i met brad but uh i always felt like it was better not to drag it out too long mm-hmm because it is another opportunity to create false intimacy. And, and it's funny because I have a really good friend, my best friend, and she'll have these full-blown relationships mm-hmm. via text and phone before she's ever met the guy. And then it's like, there's all this expectation and it's a huge letdown if there's no chemistry. And I just figure, you know, if you're interested enough, we seem like we have enough in common, you can have a decent phone conversation. It's like time to meet and figure out if this person is going to be someone I'm going to date or if I'm going to just move on. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's just the most efficient thing rather than you building up all of these expectations in your head that honestly, very few people will be able to live up to. And it's so easy when you know, you're on the phone to, you know, feel like you're having this great relationship with someone and, you know, you can talk so easily and it's all great. But the reality is that chemistry, that feeling of sort of, yeah, there's something here. You just don't know that until you meet the person. You and, really and it's, I think it's super hard to like do, you know, to, to have, you know, 25 hours worth of conversations with someone and then meet them and just be like, oh my God, absolutely not. I feel like that is one of the things that's hardest about quarantine dating, especially for people who maybe moved out of the city. And so they're back with their parents or something, and they don't really have an opportunity to meet people where they live. Because in the beginning, I personally honestly thought that all of this was going to last a couple of weeks and then we would go back to normal. So if you just started talking to somebody thinking, oh, we have to wait a little bit longer, but it's just a couple of weeks. At what point does one person get bored and say, I have no idea what you're actually like. This honestly feels futile and it's not worth either of our time. Or do you just kind of keep it going indefinitely? It's so hard. I think COVID changes. I mean, it kind of changes everything because it's so unprecedented. Mm -hmm. If it were me, if I were dating now, I think I would probably entertain longer correspondence with Mm -hmm. someone with the idea that, you know, maybe they're not the romantic partner. Maybe they are just a friend and that would be okay too. And I would probably talk to more than one person at a time Mm -hmm. during COVID just because I think it's really really hard. I mean, you you kind of have, you have to meet the person to know if there's something there. Yeah, you really do. You really do. And at least now it's like people are getting more creative with going on like a hike or a picnic or something like that, where you can still be safe, but you at least get to meet them. But I think in the beginning phases where everyone was just rightfully terrified, it just kind of Yeah, and staying inside as they should. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a wild time. I mean, I'm, I will tell you, I'm glad that I'm not trying to date during this. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm scared to go to the dentist, much less kiss someone for the first time. Oh my time. gosh, yeah. It's like, at what point can you kiss someone and feel safe about it? It's a huge question. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like back in the day when you were first going to 
be intimate with someone where you both get tested to make sure yes. you don't have any STDs. Now it's like, you know, well, you get a COVID test, yeah. I'll get a COVID test. If we're both negative, <laughs> then we can kiss. Yeah, like and how old is this know, test? <laughs> how many, how many yeah, people exactly, have you seen exactly. since then? Oh, that's so true. Right, exactly. Gosh. It, it's changed everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the long term. I, I do not envy you having to be in the dating pool at this time. <sighs> yeah, it's not, not the best. <laughs> so I guess you kind of mentioned the fact that you and Brad did get separated for a period of time. And, you know, I would love to hear a little bit about how your relationship progressed when you started to notice that there were some issues and how those issues manifested themselves. I mean, I think what's most interesting about it is, if you recall, when we were working on trolls at DreamWorks, Mm -hmm. I was traveling a lot. Mm -hmm. And I also had a broken foot. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I do. I had a broken bone in my foot and we were traveling all over the world. And so I was not in the best headspace. I mean, it was, you know, just this crazy travel. And I was trying to keep up with Jeffrey while walking around with a broken foot. And he was not the most sympathetic human being as you can imagine. (laughs) And I think things were getting tough at home. But I, I grew up with a really high tolerance for dysfunction. Like my parents were very dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of screaming in the house. There was a lot of bickering. We jokingly call them the Bickersons. I mean, they're still together, but how they managed to to not kill each other, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. But I think I had a really high tolerance for things being sort of not particularly happy or going particularly well. And so for, for me, I was... I mean, I knew that we were kind of struggling, but I was like, eh, it'll pass Mm -hmm. or whatever. I would, you know, I have all this other stuff going on and I didn't realize how much trouble we were in until he actually said to me that he thought he married the wrong person, which totally caught me off guard. Mm -hmm. And then he told me because I made him go to this intensive therapy place with me in Arizona that a friend recommended. Mm -hmm. When we were there, he admitted that he had been having an affair for about 10 months. Oh my gosh. So that's when I knew things were really, really bad. Mm-hmm. But even then I was like, we need to work on it. It's a symptom. We can do this. And, you know, we, we were in this place in Arizona and he agreed to try. And then we got home and he was just like, I can't do it. Wow. And it was just heartbreaking for me because, you know, he's it for me. Like he's definitely, you know, my person. And it was really, really devastating. And he, he moved out December 31st of 2016. Oh my gosh. And that was just, it was terrible. And it was about a month. And then I was like, I got to do something to, you know, feel, you know, better do something. And I, so I started, I went on some of the dating sites Mm -hmm. and I will tell you, I was definitely one of those who I, I just wanted to have some connections and mm-hmm. I would talk to these guys or text with these guys, but I didn't want to meet anybody. Mm-hmm. And it took me several months. It was several months before I actually met anybody, mm-hmm. but I was never interested in anyone. And I think I mentioned to you, I matched on Bumble mm-hmm. with a guy that I had dated, you know, 15 years before. And he was one of the, he was one <laughs> of the guys that made me think I don't want to date anymore. Yeah. And he and I kind of became friendly and he sort of filled in a little bit of that void of having someone to, you know, hang out with or have dinner with or whatever. And it was, it never got romantic again. Mm -hmm. I think in part because he knew that I was still in love with my ex. Mm -hmm. And so he was just kind of there as a friend and, and that was nice. And then, you know, I, I definitely used the dating apps as kind of entertainment. Mm Mm-hmm which I don't think is really fair because a lot of these guys were really looking for relationships. I I met some really nice people. When I say met, I didn't actually meet them in person, Mm -hmm. but there were a couple of guys who I ended up talking to for a while who were really nice and who, you know, some of them were going through similar experiences and, you know, it was kind of just sort of nice to know that there could potentially be something out there when I was feeling so bad about myself. Yeah. Although I do remember this was really funny. My best friend and I, we've been, friends since we were 13 years old, we went to Mexico to on like this getaway. Mm-hmm. And she had just gone through a breakup. And I, you know, was obviously, you know, in a, in a really tough situation and really sad. And we were 
both online, you know, day. And I remember the funniest thing is like we were in this hotel room in Mexico, mm-hmm. both of us like hair up on top of our head, <laughs> doing like face masks. We looked just ridiculous. <laughs> and we're like swiping left. No. And I'm thinking if these guys could see us now, they would just be like, these girls are just a horror. <laughs> Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so true. You never match up to what your pictures are. I mean, it's, that's like your best foot forward. But who knows what situation you're actually swiping in? Yeah, but I mean, it was just really funny. And like, she was talking to this guy, and it was just funny. You know, she's sitting there with zit cream on. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, I just thought, oh god, if these guys could see us now. <laughs> it is always really funny to think when you're having a flirty exchange with somebody. Usually, I feel like you do that when you're at home rather than in public and doing other things. So it's like, you're probably not done up at all. You're really just in sweats, you're chilling. To your point, you might have a mask on. And it's just such a weird juxtaposition of what you're actually trying to put out there versus the energy you're actually exuding in person. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I definitely remember thinking like how funny it was that we thought we were so, you know, desirable and meanwhile we just looked like two witches (laughs) oh my gosh well I do feel like you know going on the apps it can be a really great way to feel validation and I feel like after a breakup unfortunately I think that it's really hard to get that validation internally you know it's something where you had this impression of where your relationship was going it all changed so of course you're going to question some things and I can definitely see that being a good escape while you're processing everything yeah how was the experience of talking about the fact that you were going through a divorce like at what point would you bring it up at what point would guys who were going through the same thing bring it up you know, I think I had it on my profile. Oh. And I think, you know, most guys that I talked to, just just because of my age, most of them were divorced. Mm-hmm. And I think that was in their in their profile that they were divorced. So, I mean, unfortunately, it was very heartbroken and it was very raw. So it yeah. didn't take very long for me to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it was probably a red flag for some guys like, okay, she's definitely still processing this Mm -hmm. and other guys I think you know just thought oh you know she's so vulnerable and you know real and because I was very as you know I'm a very sort of genuine person Mm -hmm. and not great at pretending so I I, it typically came up pretty early and I you know and I did eventually go on a few dates Mm -hmm. but I just really wasn't ready there was one guy who was from the Ukraine Mm. and he could not have been sweeter. Like he was so nice. And I just felt so bad because I just, my heart just wasn't in it. Mm -hmm. I just wanted my husband back. Yeah. And I feel like it's tough because a lot of times people say the best way to get over somebody is to find someone else. And to an extent, I do feel like it's hard to fully get over somebody until you meet somebody else who you realize can make you as happy or that you will like as much as that person. Because I think right after a breakup, a lot of times you just feel like, oh, I'm never going to find anyone who understands me the same way or who I connect with the same way. Yeah. But it's also hard because you don't want to put yourself out there too soon just for the sake of getting over it. I think it's such a delicate balance and I don't think there's a real formula you just kind of have to trial and error and see what works out. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, my instinct was like, maybe find someone who makes you feel pretty and smart and desirable because I I felt pretty dumped Mm -hmm. as you can imagine. But again, I did a lot of it just to entertain myself. And like, I think there are people on there that are just doing it just to entertain themselves because they're trying to get over a breakup or they're bored or, you know, and that's hard when you're looking for a serious relationship. That's very true. As you were meeting these other guys or talking to these other guys, I know for you, you weren't necessarily expecting to break up with Brad. You knew that there were issues, but you still thought that they were things that you could work through. Did talking to other people put your relationship in any new perspective and bring to light any other issues that maybe you hadn't considered while you were together? You know, not really, not from from dating. I think where I got the perspective was, you know, being left like that, I really got into therapy and really looked at sort of how I had conducted myself in the relationship. Because, you know, my feeling is even though he cheated, which is, you know, obviously 
pretty shitty. Mm-hmm. People that are in good relationships or that are happy, they don't typically do that. So I had to look at like, what was going on? What was I missing? What was I not seeing? And the truth of the matter is, the, the biggest revelation that I had, and this was, I think this is really good advice in general for relationships. I would say like, oh, Brad has all these little petty complaints. And my therapist said to me, like, do you hear yourself? Like you're deciding that they're petty complaints. And so you're not addressing them. You're sort of blowing them off. And it's actually not for me to decide what's important to my partner. Mm -hmm. If something's important to my partner, then I need to pay attention to it. Now, it doesn't mean I have to do everything my partner wants me to do, Mm -hmm. but you do have to pay attention to the things that are important to your partner. And I think that was something that I really took for granted. Like when he would complain about something that I didn't think rose to the level, like that I thought was like, petty or just not worthy of my time or attention, I would just brush it off. I would be like, whatever. Yeah. And I think what I learned was you don't get any, any more than he gets to decide for me what's important. I don't get to decide for him what's important. So I think I approach things with him very differently. Like I listen in a very different way. It doesn't mean that I always am like, yep, you're totally right. You know, I shouldn't do this. I mean, but but we'll have a conversation about it now. I don't just blow it off and just say, like, you're being stupid. This is not important. Yeah, that's really great. And I have actually not gone through therapy. I feel like it's something that everyone can benefit from. And I think it's really amazing that your therapist was able to help you be so reflective and kind of think back to the behaviors that you were maybe engaging in that had led to this, because I think it's a lot easier to just be really reflexive in your reaction and say, like, he cheated, he was in the wrong, and then kind of write it off. And so I think it's really strong of you to look internally and take this as an opportunity for growth, Um, rather than just lashing out. Well, that's kind of what I felt like. I felt like if I'm going to go through this just horrible heartbreak and disappointment and just like that, it really felt like the death of all my sort of dreams, like what what I thought my life was going to be. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely committed to making sure that I learned from it. Had you gone through any sort of therapy before this on your own or was this your first experience with it? No, I had been in therapy for a long time. Like that was one of my sort of an indulgence, but my family always really believed in therapy and I had been in therapy prior to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But the therapy changed, obviously, when the situation changed. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But I'm, I'm a big believer in therapy. I think it isn't for everyone, I guess, mm-hmm. but I think everyone can probably benefit from it. Yeah, I totally But you agree. get out of it what you put in. Yeah, that's very true. I feel like you have to really open yourself up to the process for it to be worthwhile. Yeah. So as you were going through the divorce process, how how did the process play out? Like, and were there- Well, we got, we, we signed papers. I mean, we got really, I was surprised, um, to be honest with you, at how fast it went. And I oh. think especially because I didn't want it. Mm-hmm. And so I was surprised at just how fast everything happened. It was about, I think about six months. Okay. And then we got, we had papers to sign and we had signed the papers when we or he had signed the papers and they were with me for signature when we started talking again and agreed to go to therapy together and to see if we could salvage the relationship. And so how did you go about reopening those lines of communication and working towards that? One of the things that he, you know, complained about with me was that he, you know, I have a lot of friends and we were very social and we spent a lot of time with my friends and we did a lot of entertaining and he's a, he's a great cook. I'm a terrible cook. I have no interest in cooking. And a lot of the times, like when we would entertain people, he would be at the end of the night, he would be super frustrated and I didn't understand it. And, you know, I was like, you said you wanted them to come over and whatever, but it, it would be a lot of work for him, mm-hmm. you know, cooking. And then part of it is because he takes it on. Like if I load the dishwasher, he, he will reload it because he does, I don't do it right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things that he that bothered him was he just felt like I took for granted all the things that he did. And so it, it was July 4th and there was a, a woman that I was friends with. And we usually on July 4th, we would all go to our friend George and Neil's house. And it was Gina's birthday and they would always do her birthday party and a 4th of July party mm-hmm. at the same time. And this particular year, George and Neil were on a vacation. They weren't home. They weren't having their usual party. So I said to Gina, who's an acquaintance, who's a friend, but we're not like super close friends. Mm -hmm. 
But I said, oh, I have the house. I have a pool. Why don't you, we'll do, we can do your birthday party at my house. You can have your friends over and I'll just invite some of my family over and we'll have a party. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And then everyone left and my mom stayed and she and I were cleaning up for like three hours. And it was really mostly Gina and her friends. And all I did the whole time was like put out food and throw away dishes. I mean, I just was working the whole time. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the night, I thought back to kind of what Brad had said about how, you know, it wasn't enjoyable for him and he didn't feel appreciated and he did all this work. And I just sent him an email saying, you know, I just want to tell you that I had this spot, you know, and I want you to know, like, I have a new appreciation for what you used to do Mm -hmm. for our friends. I said, I had this 4th of July party and, you know, it was mostly Gina's friends and, and, you know, I spent hours cleaning up. It was exhausting. And, you know, Gina went on her merry way after the part, you know, it was yeah. like it kind of left to me. And I said, you know, I, I want you to know I have a new appreciation for kind of what you used to do. And I just wanted you to know that. And we had had, we really hadn't spoken. Mm-hmm. And I didn't expect him to respond because he had, he, he was angry with me and, you know, he, part of that anger was to justify his behavior. And part of it was just some real, real issues in our relationship that didn't get addressed. And he actually wrote back and we started writing back and forth. And he's, and he said he really appreciated that I acknowledged, you know, that, and he appreciated hearing from me. And he was actually at the time, which I didn't know, he was in Hawaii with the girlfriend and the kids because the girlfriend lived in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And I guess it wasn't going great and he was having some second thoughts and we we just started writing back and forth and then we started texting and then I guess he broke it off with the girlfriend and asked if I would go to therapy and he said he totally understood if I wouldn't but I was like yes you know definitely and so he made an appointment with our old therapist and like a week later we went to therapy and we left therapy and went to dinner afterwards and he said that didn't work for you at all and I was like no because I we were in the therapy and, and basically the, I, I brought up the question I'm like because you know Brad wanted to work on getting back together and I was like I don't know if I'm working on getting back together or if I'm working on healing these wounds like I can't say yet but I don't know how am I ever supposed to trust him yeah and the therapist went into this whole thing about like how a lion tamer just has to put his head in the lion's mouth. And I was wow. like, that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever yeah, heard in my life. It's a pretty aggressive. Analogy. I was like, like that is not therapy. That is just <laughs> basically saying you just have to forget about it. And yeah. I'm like, that's not going to work. Just like thrust and yourself out there with no, uh, what? No, like you're just supposed to trust again. You just stick your oh head in God. the lion's mouth. And I was like, yeah, that's just do it. Really dumb. <laughs> like that's really dumb. Oh God. And so, and Brad, picked up on the fact that I was like yeah no and he said he's like there was this one other this other therapist that we had gone to literally like once before he told me that he just didn't want to be married and he wanted to end the marriage and so he said do you want to try going back to this woman Robin and I was like yeah Mm -hmm. let's try that because this this therapist isn't gonna work Mm -hmm. and he called the next day and got us an appointment. And the next week we went to this other therapist and she turned out to be really great. And we did, you know, we did a lot of work. We were in therapy for a long time, mm-hmm. really working through, you know, the different issues and our communication. And as much as I would never want to go through that again, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. We're in a definitely much better place than we were before the whole thing went sideways. I think we're much more grateful for each other I think we listen to each other in a different way. And I think we are accepting of each other in a different way than we were. Yeah. You mentioned before that Brad was processing through a lot of anger. And I feel like based on what you've described, understandably, you were experiencing a lot of hurt and a lot of emotions that were adjacent to that. But did you ever feel angry about how he had handled things or about how things had? Oh, yeah. I mean, I got, I got very angry. I mean, uh, you know, as much as I still loved him and didn't want to lose the, you know, my idea of my future, I was very angry with him. Mm -hmm. I was very hurt. I mean, you go through the, the, you know, the grieving process, there's what they say, Mm -hmm. five stages of grief. Yes. 
and they're not linear. And I went through all of them. I mean, it was, it was awful. But yeah, anger was definitely, definitely part of it. Yeah, I actually was going to bring up the five stages of grief, too. I do think it's so applicable to breakups. And how would you say you kind of moved through those stages? Did you ever have periods where you would kind of maybe regress to a certain stage? And what was it like getting to that final stage of acceptance and then rebuilding trust? You know, it's funny, I don't think I ever, I don't think I had a chance to get to acceptance. Like, I think I was, you know, in, I, I, there was denial, there was anger. And I think once we went back into therapy, and I saw that there was a different potential ending. I wasn't sure we would get back together. I wasn't sure that there wasn't too much water under the bridge or too much damage done. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know. But the chance to have a better ending, not an angry ending and not a betrayal ending, but, you know, potentially either getting back together or really working through things so that there was no regret Mm -hmm. was hugely appealing to me and a huge relief. So it's funny because I I think in a situation like I am in, you know, you definitely forgive. It's you. It's very hard to forget, and I think mm-hmm. you know I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. I hope I will be eventually. But like I said, I think you forgive. I think forgetting is a whole other process yeah. and takes a whole lot longer. And you know I don't even know that you necessarily need to forget entirely. I feel like it sounds like, you know, once you get to a place of forgiveness, you've let it go, you've agreed to work and move forward. I think as long as you're not bringing it up and rehashing arguments about it, I think it's actually okay. Because to your point, now that you've gone through this as tumultuous and as traumatic as it was, I feel like you've really come out of it stronger. And so I feel like if you forget, there's a chance that maybe some of the lessons that came with it might also be forgotten or at least pushed to Mm -hmm. the side. So I think it's kind of okay that you're not going to forget, but you are just committed to learning from that whole experience and then improving your relationship going forward. Yeah. And I've learned gratitude in a way that I would not have, I don't think been able to experience. Like I, I am tremendously grateful for where we are. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I didn't have and didn't even really understand prior. Yeah, I feel like it would, it would be easy to take a relationship for granted, especially after you've been in it for a long time. And yeah, you're just not actively considering what if this person works. I think I just had this, I had this example of like, yeah, there's a great deal of the time you're going to be really unhappy and miserable. And that's what marriage is. And, and that's not, actually true Mm -hmm. like that's what my parents marriage is but that doesn't mean it has to be what mine is yeah yeah so one thing that I was curious about so I know that as this was going on and as you were processing the divorce and going through the the steps of that you started blogging about the experience which I think is a really great Mm -hmm. outlet but I'm curious was it difficult for Brad to reconcile the fact that you had publicized some details of your relationship and is that something that was contributing to his anger or was he okay with it he didn't know about it until after we reconciled did you actually read the blog yes so as you know it was very raw and very honest yeah and really like I think in the beginning when we first were reconciling and I was still writing I think, you know, he said he was proud of me and he, you know, felt like I was a really good writer and he could understand the need for it. I think, you know, as we were together longer, you know, he sort of felt like he didn't really want to be the subject of my material anymore and that it was, and it got very uncomfortable. But I mean, most of what I wrote was prior to the reconciliation. There were some that I wrote after the reconciliation Mm -hmm. and just talking about what it was like to reconcile and, you know, the sort of my friends' reactions and, you know, what people were expecting and, you know, what it's really like to work your way back. Mm-hmm. So he was very supportive in the beginning. And then over time, he kind of just said, I really would like you to not write about me. Mm, okay. It's great and that he... I had to respect that. Yeah. And it's great that he started out as supportive. I do understand not wanting it to be an ongoing thing, but I feel like 
if you have some self-awareness, it's kind of like when I think about doing this podcast, like I am not necessarily going to talk about people who haven't done anything bad to me. I'm not going to say anything bad if there's nothing bad to say, honestly. And so I feel like there is some self-awareness associated with, oh, this was a really difficult thing that we went through. Of course, she's going to have a lot of emotions and thoughts about it. And so it's only fair that she would use this as an outlet to express herself. Yeah. And so he, he didn't, he, he had no idea I was doing it while it was, while I was doing it prior to us getting back together. The one time that was really hard was several months into our reconciliation, our middle daughter, Brad's daughter, because Brad has three kids Mm -hmm. from a previous marriage. The middle one found the blog. Wow. How did she find it? I don't know, actually, but she did, and she read all of it, and and she was actually still in touch with his girlfriend. Oh, my gosh. And had her read it, so I know she's read it. Wait, so was there Um, any blowback from that? Did the girlfriend say anything to Brad? Did she try to get in touch with you? No, mm -mm. there there was no, he's had no communication with her at all. Yeah. The only communication he had with her at that point was because that's how we found out that Sophie was still in touch with her Mm -hmm. and Brad felt that was really inappropriate. So he reached out and said, you need to not be in my daughter's life. Yeah. That's like, you know, the circumstances under which we met are not conducive to, and and you don't need to be friends with a 16 year old girl. Yeah. That feels so shady. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely overstepping. Yes. Wow. Well, it sounds like, you know, aside from that one interaction with Sophie, it's great that there wasn't any prolonged interaction with her because I feel like sometimes there can be drama. Was there any drama as she realized that he was getting back together with you, like in the very early stages, or was it kind of just like a clean break? Didn't have to deal with any of that. Uh, She sent him an email about how he was, you know, wimping out on the life that he could have. And didn't he remember all the horrible things that I had done and why would he, you know, go down this road or whatever. Uh, so basically and, going through the bargaining phase. Yeah, I guess kind of. I mean, I, I, I gather she wasn't as on board with the let's not pursue this as he was. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it does sound like it moved pretty quickly. Like you said that you reached out and things weren't going well, but then maybe a week or two after you said you kind of had your first therapy session. Yeah, we had our first therapy session about a week and a half after we exchanged emails. Wow. Yeah, so I'm sure she was probably blindsided, but I mean. Well, I mean, he. I guess he ended it with her when he was in Hawaii mm-hmm. and he and I were emailing. And I don't know if he, and I haven't asked and I don't really want to know, but I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that he broke it off because he thought, oh, I can get back together with my wife as much as it, I think he realized it, that he was just transferring his issues. You know, he had his issues and he needed to work out his stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, just starting up with someone else was not the answer. Yeah. And I feel like that's a healthier way to approach it. Like, I think if he had gone back into it being like, I'm going to use this to get back together with her, that wouldn't necessarily have been as constructive as if he had just kind of realized I clearly need to work through my own things. And I jumped into this other relationship as a bandaid to fix a bigger issue that I clearly need to dive deeper into. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and I even said to him when he asked me if I would go back to therapy with him, I said, you know, I had four conditions and one of them was, I said, I'm not telling you to break it off with your girlfriend. I just want transparency. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I want to know where I, you know, where things stand. Yeah. So I didn't tell him that one of the conditions was to, for going to therapy was he had to break it off with her. Because mm-hmm. I, at the time, I knew I needed a different ending. I knew I needed a different kind of closure. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't sure we were going to be able to make it back to each other. Yeah. And I feel like that's great because I don't think ultimatums are the healthy way to proceed. It's like you get to make this decision for yourself and I want you to get to a place where you want to be in this relationship and you want to commit to it and commit to working to it. So I think that's really awesome that you approached it that way. Yep. But of course, one of my conditions was also that the kids not be involved. But by the time he landed in LA from Hawaii, they all knew that we were talking. Oh, again. No. So, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like they're kind I just of felt like they had been through so much. And like, what if it didn't work between us? Like how confusing that would be for them. And yeah. 
Yeah. But, you know, kids are resilient. They follow the parents' lead. Mm -hmm. That's very true. So honestly, I feel like I can't thank you enough for sharing this experience because like I said, I really do think it's inspiring and I feel like it's very easy for people to write off a relationship just because things aren't going well. And it's great to see how much you were able to grow from this and how much stronger you came out of it on the other side. But before we wrap up, I would love to ask are there any overarching relationships that you took away from therapy that you would like to pass along to other people who may be going through some sort of rough patch in their own relationship? I think, you know, one of the, one of the big ones, like I said, is like, is just understanding that, you know, you don't get to decide for your partner what's important. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to, you know, like I said, you don't have to change yourself or do what they necessarily want, but you do have to hear the other person that people need to feel like they're heard. Yeah. And that like, you know, I, it doesn't mean, you know, if someone's like, I don't like this or whatever, you don't necessarily have to change, but you do have to talk about it mm-hmm. and you do have to address what's going on. And I think, you know, that you have to have respect for the other person's feelings, even if you don't agree, people need to feel like they're heard. And I I think that's the best advice I can give just based on what I went through. It's so important that you hear the other person and that they get acknowledged, whether you're willing to make a particular change or you're not, you might be, you might not be. It could even be something that's so ingrained in who you are that it's not possible, Mm -hmm. but you still have to acknowledge, okay, I get that my, whatever it is, my anxiety or my OCD or my whatever is hard on you. And I hear that it's not something I can necessarily control, but I hear that it's hard on you. And let's talk about how we can make it a little bit less hard when knowing that like either, you know, I'm not going to not be anxious personally. I think a big issue that we had was that I, I didn't really know my role with the kids. And I had a lot of criticism about how he dealt with his ex-wife. And one of the things I learned is like, there are some things that are like, not my circus, not my monkeys. Mm -hmm. And it was really important for me to identify those things and learn to let go of those things. Cause I would try to control how he interacted with his ex-wife. And, you know, that was really hard on him. It made him feel constantly like he was doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it really wasn't my place. Yeah. I love that phrase. Not my circus, not my monkeys. I didn't make that up, but it's one of my favorites. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I do think that you bring up some amazing points. And just remembering to always validate your partner is really a great takeaway from this. Yeah, and I wish you huge success and luck in finding someone. Like I said, I wouldn't change my past just because things worked out the way they're supposed to. But I do think it's so important to, if you want love in your life, if you want a relationship you have to put in the effort and you have to make it a priority and you can't just, you know, hope that it's going to fall into your lap because that's just not how it works. That's true. Yeah. Have to be proactive and just keep going after what is important to you. Yeah. And maybe be a little bit open to someone who's not necessarily, you know, meeting everything on your checklist. You, you just never know. It might yeah. surprise you. That's very true. Yeah. Staying open is really key. Well, thanks for your time, Leslie. Um, Thank you for your time. I think this was really amazing. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.